Uh, thank you, Aaron. I'm going to stand out here so people can see me for a second, because uh, some of you are looking at me and saying, did he just call me Tom? Because didn't you preach here a couple of weeks ago, and you had a different name, and your name was Laird? <laughs> Were some of you here for that? I, I want you to know something. Laird is my older, less good-looking <laughs> cousin. Okay, so I know some some even before the service, a little bit of confusion. I've met you before. I know you didn't you preach here? No, I haven't actually preached here before. That was my older, less good-looking cousin. Okay, so uh, get that right because Laird is our Canada East superintendent, and he may come back here again. And when you see him, you will say, I met your younger, better looking cousin. Okay? So you do that, alright? And, uh, so no, I am not Laird, I am Tom. And it's been a joy for me to share in ministry for a lot of years, not only with my cousin, uh, but also within the AGC circles, pastoring a couple of different AGC churches over 25 years or so. In the last uh, four years, it's been my joy to uh, to be involved not only in itinerant preaching ministry, but also to be a part of the teaching uh, ministry at the, our local church, Grindstone Valley Bible Church, which is in Waterdown, Ontario. And so I bring greetings from a sister AGC church. I brought a good friend of mine, Brad Wave, over there. Okay, Brad and I came uh, just to sort of bring some greetings from a sister church, and uh, and we are just encouraged to know that the uh, there's a witness for Christ here in Woodstock. It gives us a great sense of joy and camaraderie and knowing that what you're doing here and what we're doing there is really working towards the kingdom. And so it's a great joy to come and give you greetings from the church. I do uh, professional development uh, around the world amongst the ministry people. And uh, and so I do an awful lot of uh, development uh, work with mission, but also in independent consulting. So, but I come to you just to share the scriptures with you and to open up the Bible. We're going to do that today, and I'd love for you to look at Mark chapter 13. So whether you've got a physical copy of the Bible in your hand, or maybe you've got the U version or whatever, usually. Because I taught visual communications at seminary for 10 years, usually I have visuals up on the wall. And today, I don't. Because it's so simple for us to understand, you may not even need to write it down. You know, if you write it down, I won't think less of you. But I want you to follow along the Scriptures and pay attention to the simplicity of what Christ wants to teach us today. The topic of the sermon is what, or the title is, what to do when you don't know what to do. Okay? What to do when you don't know what to do. And I believe there are three principles that the Spirit of God wove into His Scriptures for us to learn today and for us to use in our generation. Now, somebody has once said that the only constant is change. Right? The only constant is change. What is changing in your life? What is unknown in your life? What is confusing about the next thing in life? We all have those, right? Every single one of us have those things which might be confusing or might, and, and some of the change and confusion is actually good and positive. It's not a negative thing. So one of the changes happening in my life is our son got engaged uh, just a month ago and he'll be married. That's a very positive thing. 
But then for Karen and I, then this is this is our first crack at empty nesting. So it's like, oh boy, okay. And and I think we're excited about that. But but who are we now? What is our marriage now? What does this look like now? Right? What to do when you don't know what to do? Um, we are, in practical terms, we are right in the middle of a whole first floor renovation of our house. I am frankly surprised I don't have all kinds of dust all over my pants and my sweater because the house is a disastrous mess at the moment. And it's going to be great, but it is an awful moment. Right? It's just an awful moment. How do you live when you have no kitchen, no place to sit down? I mean, those aren't bad things. But there are some things that come in life, some changes, some unknowns, that aren't quite so easy to digest. And maybe you have some of those. Maybe uh, maybe you're looking at uh, having a child. And, and, you, and you look at the dynamics of our world and you worry. You worry about that. How can I do this? Am I equipped for it? And what kind of a world will my child have to cope with? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Or Mary, maybe it's in your marriage and it hasn't gone the way that you had hoped and now you're looking at singleness. And you ask yourself the question, I, I never thought I would be here and this is confusing to me. What do I do when I don't know what to do? Or maybe it's a less than positive health report that, that the doctor has issued. Or maybe like, like Karen and I, we're in the sandwich generation and so we are now parenting our parents and, and dealing, dealing with those dynamics of how do we care lovingly and carefully for them when we do need to talk about the issues of going into retirement living when that's really not acceptable to them. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I want us to open up the Scriptures today and see if we can't find some principles then that would help us to answer that question, to know how to move forward today. Mark chapter 13 is, is not an easy passage to under, unpack or even sometimes to understand because it's actually a, it's our own Lord Jesus who is actually giving some prophecies about the future. And he's trying to help his disciples then to understand in your future, in the unknown, how do you walk into those unknowns? On what principles can you move forward in the confusing? I was just in, in the Krakow, Poland just a few weeks ago leading a strategic uh, leadership discussion amongst our missionaries within Europe and asking the question, what do we do in Europe now? What are the strategic objectives? And we asked four questions about our objectives and our goal. What is right? What is wrong? What are we, what, what, what's missing? And the fourth one was what is confusing? And we put a piece of paper on the wall for all those questions and guess which paper had the longest list on it? What is confusing? Huh? What is confusing? That is very much like life. And Jesus is about to prepare his disciples for the, a confusing time. In Mark chapter 13, we are right in the middle of the Passion Week. We're right between the triumphal entry and Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And right in that moment, he wants to help them to understand that in the coming days, there will be some difficulties. You are going to face some unusual things from heaven and from earth, from people and from God. And he wants to give them the principles of how to live a life in the confusion and in the difficulties. Now, here's something to know. Almost everything that I'm about to read from the Scriptures took place between when Jesus gave them and the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. It was all future to them, but it's in the past to us. And that puts us in a fabulous posture to be able to understand how to live. How He wanted them to live in their future as we look back to see how what happened and how did it work. It puts us in a great position to understand the principles that God would have us to use in our daily lives. Let's get into the Scriptures. In Mark chapter 13, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of His disciples said to Him, Look, teacher, what massive stones and what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I wonder in the confusion and the difficulty of what they are about to face, what is Jesus trying to tell them? How do you, do, you, do you do? How do you live when you don't know what to do? When what's before you is confusing, what's before you is unknown, what bef- what's before you is difficulty, difficult. Now, all commentators would tell us that those very things that he just I just read for you are all they all took place between the resurrection and the destruction of the temple. And that makes sense because that's what he was talking about, right? He was saying, the temple, that's going to be broken down. And so Jesus said, I'll tell you what's going to happen between now and when every one of those stones will be broken off. There will be difficulties in this world. There will be wars. There will be famine. There will be brother against brother and father against children. There will be all those things. And if we read the history books, what we find out is every single one of those things actually took place. It was future to them. It was past to us. What is Jesus trying to tell us? Here's what I think He's trying to tell us. Three things. Write them down if you need to, but I think you can remember. Number one is this. If Jesus was here today, He'd probably say, listen, the future is the future. You 
live today. You live today. Somebody might say carp diem. <laughs> right? Seize the day. You live today. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 in your text. One version of the Scripture says it this way. What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? The disciples like you and I are sometimes worried about the future. We want to know what's coming around the bend. Right? What are some of the signs that these things are going to take place? Oh, Lord, show us the future. And Jesus does come to a conclusion and answer. But here's what he wants to tell them in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Do not worry beforehand. He's specifically saying when you're called to account for the things that are about to happen. Don't worry beforehand. Don't you put your concern about those things in the future. Don't worry before. The Lord is there. What he says is. Don't worry beforehand what to say. Just do whatever is given to you when? At the time. You see, if God, if the God that you've chosen to believe in through faith in Jesus Christ is a God who is omnipresent, omniscient, who, who, who transcends all that there is. Who isn't time bound by today. He's already in the future. He lives already there in your future. It's not prophetic for Him. It's actual for Him. And the God who is there is the God who at that time will be just what you need Him to be. Is God enough? <laughs> Absolutely. You don't need to worry about that which is before you. Because the God who is, is the God who is there. You don't need to worry about those things. Yes, it's human nature. Huh, right? It's human nature for us to be concerned about that which lies ahead. About the things that are most confusing to us. But it's not confusing to Him. And when you need, you will have. Do not worry beforehand. Do not worry before. Because I am right there at that time. I give you what you need as you need it. Somebody once said, yesterday is a cancel check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is the only cash you got. Right? That's sort of what is being said by our Lord here. So don't worry beforehand. This is all you've got. Don't fuss about what you, but you can't deal with what you can. Live today. I wonder, this is such a hard lesson for human beings. It's even hard to teach, frankly. But I, I do wonder sometimes if this is why so often in the scriptures, if you read this one, let me tell you, it's one four letter word. You understand what I might mean by that four letter word? A bad word. But it's this little word, wait. Are you good at that? I, I'm not sure that I've ever heard had anybody say, yeah, I'm great at waiting. It, I mean, time is a, is a more important commodity than, than money anymore. 
And when I'm told to wait, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm being robbed of something. Right? I, I took my mother-in-law to the hospital just a couple of weeks ago. And um, we uh, uh, had an appointment at 1 o'clock to have some work done on, on her eyes. And uh, when we got there, the nurse checked us all in and got us uh, situated and then said, okay, your appointment's at 1 o'clock. The doctor has a uh, standing uh, meeting at 1 o'clock on the fourth Wednesday of every month, so he won't be here for another hour. Now, how would you feel about waiting? I'm fuming inside, okay? I don't know what your personality type is. I'm not an angry person by nature, but I'll tell you something. I'm not happy. I'm fuming inside and I'm fussing and, I, and I'm trying to hold it inside because I really don't want my dear mother-in-law, 90 years old, dear lady, to feel like she's imposing on me, right? That wouldn't be kind, but I'm just angry inside and just frustrated. And as I fumed and fussed inside, I think the Spirit of the Lord sort of gave me a check in my own spirit and, and, and said to me, Tom, what does your fuming about waiting tell you about how important you think you are? And I had to have that check in my own spirit to say, you know what, Lord? If it's your divine providence that I need to wait, then give me the grace to wait. That there are times in our lives, in fact, most of our lives, when the God of this universe so much wiser than we could ever be and already in our future, simply trusts us and by grace asks us to wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and wait on the Lord. Psalm 27.14 And I don't do that well and I don't frankly like the instruction. But if God is sovereign, then it is His grace and not His punishment to ask us to wait. And when He puts us into the confusion and into the unknown and into the difficulty, when we don't know what to do, it is His grace for Him to say, Tom, you wait on me. You wait on me. You live today. You Don't live what you can't. Live what you can. Okay, I think that's one of the things that we do when we don't know what to do. We take into consideration that which we know and that that which we have yesterday to cancel check. Tomorrow is just a promissory note. <laughs> today's all the cash I've got. Live it. Number one, live today. Here's number two. I think the second principle that's in that text is that difficulties deliver opportunities. Difficulties deliver opportunities. Now I'm going to take that from verse 9 and verse 10. So look at it here. Just be sure that we're following the text of the Scriptures here. Verse 9 and verse 10. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Now listen to this. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And then he even goes further. And the Gospel must be preached to all nations. Too often we take that verse out of its context. But the context here is that there is suffering, there is difficulties, there is unknown, there is change, there are some not very nice things that he has just said is going to happen to you. 
But it brings something that might not be able to come in any other way. It gives you opportunities to be that witness of the gospel, to be a gospel light, to be a gospel liver, to be a gospel proclaimer to this world. And you might not be able to do that quite so well or quite so often if I didn't put you into the confusion and the difficulties of life. It's somewhat intuitive to understand this. Romans 5 actually adds something that's really fabulous. At our church, uh, at uh, Brad and my church, we're actually going through the book of Romans in a teaching series. And in two weeks from now, I'm to preach on peace. And this is the passage that comes out. Verse uh, chapter uh, 5, Romans 5, verse chapter verse. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise His holy name. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have a relationship with the God of this universe. Can you believe it? Through Jesus Christ. You have peace with Him. Now, you probably don't have complete peace down here. Right? Right? We're talking about that, right? We're talking about the difficulties. Even Jesus just told his disciples in Mark 13, you're going to have problems. By my death and resurrection, immediately following that, there's going to be a whole sequence of issues and problems in this world. So we know that it's not all peace, right? But you've got peace with God. And then he goes on in verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, it's not that, you know, it's not that we like the suffering. But we glory in the what is produced by those sufferings. And what is produced? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That makes sense to me. The longer you, per, the longer you can cope with the suffering, the more persevering impulses you have. Right? you got more skills at it. So that makes sense to me. It develops perseverance. This one doesn't make as much sense, but it's the Scriptures that are true. And it says this, perseverance develops character. what God's doing. This is what God is doing in the changes of my life, in the difficulties, in the unknown, in the confusing. This is what he's doing. He's making something out of me that I wouldn't become otherwise. He's developing character in me. Character also elicits hope. Uh, I have some uh, dear friends, Dave and Andy. Andy is uh, short for Andrea. Uh, and Dave and Andy, uh, missionaries to uh, in... Um, Egypt for a whole bunch of years. Aswan, Egypt actually, towards the south on the Nile. And they were kicked out by their government. Now, it is very, very, very difficult to explain to you or for me to even understand how overwhelmingly disorienting that is. When God Almighty has called you to a place, what right does a human government have to kick you out? Right? Like, that's totally disorienting. And it, there's a death that happens when, you, when you're actually kicked out of the place that you felt called to and we're living and we're developing relations. for. And so they had to come back to Canada, their home country. Actually, Owen Sound, to be exact. And there they grieved. Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you, what do, you do when, when the government seems to be trumping God? 
Right? What do you do? And they grieved. But they took that and they, they lived their pain and they and slowly but surely as they developed the character to know how to cope and to trust in their God, all of a sudden they began to realize that God didn't need them to be in the Middle East. He was going to bring the Middle East to them. And as they sat there grieving and developing through their suffering, they saw all around them the refugees, the immigrants, the displaced people. And they now have a ministry that far exceeds anything they could ever possibly have done in that security-sensitive world where they began. They began to realize that God needed them to be people of character before they could allow them to be the witness that they so passionately dreamed to be. That's what God is doing in our lives. In the confusions and the difficulties that we face as we go along. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You remember that the difficulties uh, deliver opportunities. That God is making something out of you that you might not be able to make it any other way. And my friends, what he is trying to do is to create in you the better opportunity that his good news would be present to this world through you. That's exactly what the scripture says. You will be my witnesses. I love what the, uh, uh, the, the New Living Translation says. It says this, this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Whatever it is that you're going through, in some measure, as God saying, this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Isn't that great? And the gospel will be preached to all nations. That's through you. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you face the confusions? Well, you live today. And you recognize that what God is doing in you is delivering an opportunity for you to be the best witness you could be for him. Now, that seems pretty exciting to me. The fact that God is massaging in me the better ability to be his voice, his model, his example. That's awfully exciting. I don't like the way he gets me there. But I choose to count on a God and live today knowing that there's a God who is saying, I'm making something out of you for me. Are you with me? Okay, so here's the third one. The third one is this. Know His Word. And I actually mean that as capital W, Word. His Word. That's how what I mean. And you're going to say, hey, that's a big jump. Where did you get to that? Right? Right? Where did you get to that from what we read from, from Mark 13? Now, I can't read for you all of the rest of Mark chapter 13, but you should, because what happens in the rest of Mark chapter 13 is he not now not is telling, predicting things that have been. He now predicts things that will be for even for us. It's prophetic about the end time things. And you may want to read that. But you know where he ends after he talks about things that are future to them, but past to us. And after he talks about things that are future to them and future to us, here's how he ends. This is where he takes us. Look at verse 31. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's the conclusion of the matter. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, you better live today because you can't really live tomorrow because you don't know, right? You don't know. And God will show up when, when you need Him. He's there. He lives there. And those difficulties of life, they deliver opportunities to optimize His witness through you in this world. And by the way, not everything is insecure and unstable. Heaven and earth may pass away. Everything might look confusing. Everything might look challenging. Everything might be changed. But can I tell you something upon which you can stand and place all of your feelings and all of your problems and all of your plans? Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. I have given you something that is secure. Your feelings of insecurity about the things that you're facing are not all you have, and they are often not always accurate. Heaven and earth may pass away, but I have given to you something upon which to live your life with confidence. My friends, this actually makes a lot of sense to me. If God is God, if God is who He says He is by definition, who I've come to know Him to be by experience, if God is God, then whatever He says is the truest there is, is the most reliable thing that there is. What God says must be the best because God can only give the best. He isn't capable of giving less than what is perfect. So this makes sense to me that heaven and earth may pass away, my world never pass away because it's like me. It's an expression of what I believe, what I... So that makes sense to me. Here's the question that I have to ask. Is this document really God's Word? That's the question I have. Not whether or not God, whatever God says, is it true, is it right, is it good, does it work, is it secure? That's not my question because if God is God, it is. The question is, is what I have in my hand... God's Word. And I want to convince you today that it absolutely is. There are many, many reasons to believe this. Follow my logic for just a moment. Have you ever heard of Plato? Plato's philosophy. Have you ever heard that word, that name? We speak as if we understand what he believed, what he thought, what his philosophies were. We have entire university degrees and doctorates on Plato's philosophy. We talk very categorically like we know what he thought. And my friends, we only have a couple of copies of his writings and no originals. And yet we are categorical in our understanding that we know what he thinks. The same is true of Augustine. We speak, in, and he's within the Christian camp, really. I mean, we speak as if we know what he says and what he believed and what his doctrines were, right? And yet we only have a couple of copies of his writings and no originals. The same is true of Josephus. If you've been in church, you may have heard that name. He was a historian of the first century, Jewish historian. No originals, only a couple of copies. And then we come to this. And dear friends, we have 5,000 Greek manuscripts. 8,000 Latin manuscripts. Thousands of other languages and thousands of quotes all for the New Testament alone. 
and all that ha- all that were written within the first three centuries of, of Christ. There is no better attested document in history than the one you hold in your hands. This is the best historic validated book in the world. I don't know if you recall, but uh, there was a time when liberal theologians really debated the authenticity of the Old Testament, especially Isaiah. Especially Isaiah. There's always a big discussion about the book of Isaiah because it had so many accurate predictions about Jesus that in every case, every theologian, every liberal theologian said it was written by several authors after Jesus. It was just too darn accurate. <laughs> too many prophecies that were fulfilled that there's no way it could have been written before Jesus. And so it was written off as a nice book, as an inspiring book. Not inspired, but an inspiring book and a nice read and pleasant, but not who, you know, not, not true, not, not written before Jesus. Not. And then something happened in 1947. Remember what happened in 1947? little Bedouin boy threw a rock into a cave in Qumran. And rather than just thunk, it went smash. And he found what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And within the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was an entire copy of the book of Isaiah that predates Jesus. Snap. <laughs> Don't you love those? I mean, I, and I could tell you three or four others where the Scripture just even by virtue of, of archaeology, has been confirmed over and over and over and over and over again. My dear friend, you do not need to doubt whether you have God's Word. Your feelings about insecurity about your life as you go forward, the confusing things, the difficult things, the unknown, please live today. This is all you have. And God will show up when you need. Don't worry beforehand, he says to them, at that time. Dear friend, the difficulties that you face as you move forward or the frustrations or the difficulties that are there ahead of you, those are the very things that deliver the opportunities to optimize what God wants to do in and through you and through His for His Gospel. And dear friends, not everything is insecure. Heaven and earth may pass away. But I have given you something upon which to build your feelings, upon which to build your plans, upon which to build your life. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. A small uh, factory. I'm finished when I tell you this. Uh, A small uh, factory uh, shut down because their major piece of machinery didn't work. It just stopped functioning. And all of their internal engineers and mechanics and people couldn't, could not get this thing to work. And so they had to go to an outsider, bring an outside expert in. And so they brought in the outside expert who came and surveyed the situation for just about a minute, not particularly long, and then grabbed a hammer and went to a certain spot and tapped it and boom, the thing sprang to life and started working again. And everything was happening and the, everything was back in business and productivity. And so he just he wrote out the invoice for $100 and gave it to the owner of the business who got livid over it because how could you be here for one minute, do that and charge me 100 bucks, right? I want an itemized bill. And so he itemized the bill. He said, uh, 
$1 for tapping. $99 for knowing where to tap. (laughs) Okay, if God was sort of tapping us to get us going in the unknowns of our life, He would say like Jesus has said to His disciples, listen, let's live today. Okay? You don't know tomorrow. And I'm already there. And I will show up. And please recognize that the difficulties, the confusions, those are the very things that refine you to be what I need you to be for my sake. And by the way, it's not all insecure. Okay? I've given you my word. Rest your life on this. Rest your life on this. My answer to the question, what to do when you don't know what to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for... um, putting into the Scriptures these, these events in the life of Jesus that live way beyond that moment, that live in our hearts to this day, that work in the, relevantly with, with the things that we are facing. So we thank You for in Your grace, for providing the Scriptures and these, these events from Your life that really help us to see how to move forward. But Father, we, we need Your help. We often, we do worry We do worry about our future. We do worry about the unknowns. Sometimes we worry with fear because of a diagnosis. And sometimes we're actually quite excited about the future, but it's still so unknown. And and regardless, Lord, please, please remind us. Please remind us that You are already in the future and that You provide when we need. That the very sufferings and the difficulties and the confusions that we have as your as your messenger to make us the best we can be for your gospel and for your witness. Teach us, Lord, to dig deeply into your word, not just for information, as good as that might be, but for transformation. That it would strengthen our resolve, it would strengthen our plans. It would be the thing upon which we base our feelings. If you would do this, we would appreciate it. For our good and for your glory. Amen.